In fact, I had a patient, she'd been trying to get pregnant. I think she'd had two miscarriages by the time I saw her. And it turned out she had Hashimoto's. Like nobody bothered to check her. Nobody bothered to, you know, they ran a TSH, they ran a TSH, they ran a TSH. And we ran all the rest of the markers, T4, T3, the antibodies. Sure enough, she had she had Hashimoto's and we worked on that. Like she got pregnant, didn't miscarry, carried. In fact, I think she has two kids at this point. And she was a nurse, that's the other thing. She's in the medical field and she said, nobody bothered to check, nobody bothered to test. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Dr. Emily Kybert here with Muscle Medicine Podcast. Today we sit down with quite the powerhouse, Carrie Jones. She is a naturopathic physician and the medical director of Precision Analytical. They are the creators of the Dutch Hormone Test. What's the Dutch test? It stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. It is the gold standard in testing cortisol and stress hormones and other hormones in the body. It's a great indicator of chronic stress in the body, which we know that stress can lower or suppress our immune system, resulting in illness, slower recovery time, inability to recover at all, and long-term chronic stress can increase inflammation, joint pain, can create headaches, can cause someone to develop ulcers, affect digestion, constipation, bloating, heartburn, and interfere with fertility and affect depression and anxiety. It's like a hot mess. So if you're struggling with weight loss or exhaustion or fatigue, this episode is for you. Enjoy. Carrie, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. I am a secret Instagram fangirl. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. Not only of your travels, but also just the message you're spreading and the people you collaborate with. One of them is Dr. Ralph Esposito, which we both know and adore. Mm-hmm. I keep getting him to come and do more kettlebell work with me. <laughs> and he's like, yes. I am not worthy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Just like, <laughs> let's just collaborate. Come on. Oh, that's funny. He's the reason that, I, that you and I connected. Yeah. You know... Dr. Emily? I'm like, no. He's like, how do you not know her? She's amazing. And so <laughs> like, I'm going to connect you two. Yeah. I love that. So if I get this wrong, correct me, but you are the medical director mm-hmm. of a company that created the Dutch test. Is that accurate? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So the company is Precision Analytical and we created the Dutch test. So the um, dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. That's what Dutch stands for. It's an acronym. Awesome. And so- yeah. I got introduced to this through Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Yes. Also yep. in New York. And she was like, girl, your blood work says you have adrenal fatigue, but I want a little more accurate read on it. So <laughs> I'm going to give you this box and you're going to go do it. <laughs> you're going to go pee on these strips. <laughs> exactly. So can you give our listeners a little insight into the Dutch test? And also yeah. your background, because your background's so awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm a naturopathic doctor and I have my master's in public health and women's health and hormones is really all I do. I do like 
15% men's health, but I'm, I'm the total antithesis to Dr. Ralph who does all men's health. I do all women's health stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I started working for the Dutch test pretty much right at the beginning. They, they were created in 2012 and the owner at the time or the, the owner way back then said, can I present this test to you and see if you like it? It's dried urine. It's not blood. It's not saliva. You pee on these sticks kind of like a pregnancy test and just let them dry and you do it throughout the day and mail it in. And I said, yeah, this sounds really cool. I like the concept. And by the way, do you need help? And he said, well, yeah, we're a brand new, we're a startup. Um, we need all the help we can get. We, we can't pay you, but yeah, we need lots of help. I can give you, I can give you hormone <laughs> testing. I was like, great. I need hormone testing. Sure. And so it just grew from there. So I started out just helping for free behind the scenes. And then he said, all right, I think I need, I need you in front. I need you to be more of a consult and then grew into the medical director. So it's been a very cool ride. Now there's, there are six doctors that work for the company. We're actually looking to hire two more. So if anyone's listening to this and you live in Oregon, <laughs> you, you, we you need, need a job. <laughs> we are hiring. <laughs> Get hormones. We need you. Yeah. Um, and so the test is cool because unlike just as, you know, Dr. Lyons said to you, we, it gives you more comprehensive information. So people get their blood drawn or they get saliva done and they just get their standard hormone. I, they get estrogen, they get progesterone, they get testosterone, but it doesn't tell them where it's going. So estrogen, you want to know how your estrogen is getting detoxified. Testosterone, you want to know, is it going down the alpha or the beta pathway because that can help you determine like, why do you have acne or why do you have facial hair? And we can do something about it. Cortisol, we tell you, can you, can you even make cortisol in the first place? So we have a total, you know, cortisol production. Um, we tell you how much is free and free is important to know because that's what binds to the receptors and does the things. And then we tell you how much is getting deactivated. So people don't realize that you make cortisol, which is what we think of a stress and, and fight or flight, but we can actually, our body has an internal system to turn it off. And if we turn it off all the time, then we get that sort of quote, adrenal fatigue feeling. We're tired all the time. And we think, oh, I can't make cortisol when really, in fact, it might just be deactivating it. So, so it's a very cool test. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. So Let's break out the cortisol piece because I feel like, you know, I'm in New York. I'm surrounded by a bunch of stressed out New Yorkers, probably including Seriously, myself. your city is always on. It's, you know, you, you know, and I've been to New York several times and I was just there like a month ago for a conference. Yeah. And I, I was on the sixth floor of the hotel, which was, you know, and I was not in, on the, and it was still constantly on all nights. I mean, I slept with earplugs because I thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> This is real. Like New York never stops. It never sleeps. It's just like low grade vibration at yes. all times. Yeah. Which is fun in some regard. It's fun as an outsider, but like I little stints, like four days. Yeah. 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 So when I had my blood drawn, it was 9 30 in the morning. Okay. And I normally wake up at six when my three year old wakes me up and wants to play. <laughs> <laughs> so what does a morning cortisol kind of levels and ebbs and flow. What should that look like? Sure. Well, so it's supposed to be high in the morning. It's called the cortisol awakening response, which we shorten it to car. And so basically the brain, it's, it's actually like your three-year-old. It's, it's like your, it's like your brain is like, okay, the sun is about to rise. The sun is about to rise. And it's like pushing on your adrenals now, now, can we do it now, now? <laughs> and then you open your eyes and then now happens and your cortisol should go up 
when your eyes open up and you get exposed to bright light. And the reason it goes up is for several reasons. One, right, get your butt out of bed to give you energy and get you going. Um, But it does also does other things. It helps with blood sugar. It's anti-inflammatory. It actually helps reduce autoimmunity. So we need that rise in the morning. And then and then it goes down. So after about an hour, it goes up over the course of an hour, and then it sort of falls, gradually falls back down, and then down, down, down. And so by the time you're ready to go to bed at night, it should be nice and low because melatonin should come out. You don't want to be in fight or flight. You don't want to have a lot of cortisol at night because you're trying to sleep. So cortisol is like the sun and melatonin is like the moon. So that's what a normal pattern is, right? High in the morning, low at night. Yeah. And then your melatonin is the opposite. Your melatonin is high at night, like the moon, and then low in the day. I love that. Yeah. I love that analogy. (laughs) So hypothetically, and I think this is maybe where when some people get their cortisol tested, it's not like you can jump out of bed and then run to the doctor's office and get the blood work. Right. You know, a lot of people don't like to get their blood drawn, which is stressful. So like you, to get to a blood draw, let's say at 930 in the morning, you have to get up deal with your three-year-old, right? You have to get ready. You have to get to the blood draw station by 9.30. And if which you is an don't hour like, train ride. Which is, which is not relaxing, no. <laughs> right? And then if you don't like needles, now you have just gotten up, dealt with your three-year-old, gotten on the train for an hour, and then you have to go, you know, get your blood drawn. And for a lot of people, it can really affect the results because that's not natural. It's, it's not like taking the test in your home, following your own rhythm. It's kind of this fake out rhythm. Yeah. So the Dutch test is tracking it through the day because there's five tests. There's five. There's five. Yeah. Yeah. So you do it first thing in the morning. Yeah. So as soon as your eyeballs open up, your eyelids open up and you have to go to the bathroom, you do it right then. Got it. You do it two hours later around dinner and before bed. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, so if you have insomnia, you'll do it then. If you don't, if you just sleep through the night, then don't worry about it. Don't do that fifth strip. But a lot of people we find, as you probably experience, you know, they wake up in the middle of the night. So yeah. And so how have you used the Dutch test and with your wealth of knowledge with working with women, how has it changed your experience with your patients or even your recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. So what actually what it's changed the most is it helps me further understand if there's other stuff I need to look at. So we have a di- another marker on the, on the adrenal page. It's again, the cortisol production marker. So that answers, you know, can your adrenal glands make cortisol, which is a big question. I mean, some people can't, right? Some people might have autoimmune Addison's. Some people make way too much cortisol. And then I'm looking at inflammation, infection, you know, insulin. So it's sort of giving me more reasons why. Why are your adrenals such a mess when I, when I can look at these markers versus just trying to guess? And then on top of that, um, having this test, when I look at these patterns, not a lot of people have a normal pattern. I mean, think of the number of people who are low in the morning, right? They can't get out of bed. They're tired. They're hitting snooze. They need caffeine. And then they get that second wind at night. So they're too high at night. So we call it a reverse curve. And this is super common with moms, well, parents. Oh, yeah. Right? Because your kid goes to bed and you're like, thank goodness I have two hours to myself. And you try to get everything done, right? You're like, I'm going to do laundry and I'm going to clean. I'm going to answer these emails real quick and I'm going to watch this TV show and I'm, you know, and, 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 and. And, and I'm going to write a blog post and then right. <laughs> <laughs> And you're doing it bright light and, you know, you're running around because you have two hours of freedom. And then you try to wind down to go to bed at 10, 30, 11, and you can't figure out why you're all wound up. I'm like, I know why you're wound up. <laughs> but when you test, I can see it. I see that your cortisol has gone up, not down. And I'm like, oh, 
we can address this. I we love that. Fix your curve. Yeah. So a lot of what we talk about on the Muscle Medicine Podcast is how to feed and train so that you can optimize the largest organ in the body, the muscle, which is kind mm-hmm. of our metabolic engine. So how have you seen, and we could totally dive down the rabbit hole, maybe just <laughs> on, a, on a layman's terms, how have you seen a change in tissue quality or muscle quality as there's a change in adrenal or sex hormones? Yeah. Well, especially cortisol, because as you know, cortisol is what we call catabolic. So it breaks things down. And so if you think of like your chronic runners, you know, I'm not knocking running per se, but if you're already- oh, I'll knock str- running. <laughs> it's okay. We can knock. I was trying to be PC. <laughs> it's okay. I tell all my runners, like, we got to talk. And so if you look at the body of a runner, right? First of all, if you're already stressed out, you're already in fight or flight. Your body already thinks the tiger is chasing you. And then what do you do? You go run which is what your body thinks you're doing already. So now you're running because your life is stressful and busy and full. And then you literally go run for your, for your exercise and it just pushes you more into this breakdown state. And these people feel broken down. They tell me like, I can't lose weight. I've got this, I feel squishy. Even runners, I, like, they're like, my legs are toned, but I've got this you know, squishiness around, around the middle. I'm like, I know, it's cortisol. It's exactly what it is. They're hangry. They can't balance their blood sugar because their cortisol is a mess. So their blood sugar balance is a mess. They don't sleep that well. They have PMS. It's just perpetuating when you're a runner. When running is all that you do, literally in your life because you're stressed out. And then that's what you do for exercise. So I just treated an ultra marathoner this morning. Oh, yeah. Just ran a 60-mile race. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) (laughs) She told me... It's, she goes, it's a miracle that I didn't get a stress fracture because normally I get a stress fracture after every race. And I'm thinking, oh my God, why? And why? I'm like, does this feed the soul? And she's like, it feeds my soul. I feel whole. And everything you're talking about, like agitation. Breaking down, right? A yeah. stress fracture is a breakdown. Like they, they, yeah. 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 So I was like, listen, we need to get some blood work. You need yeah. to do the Dutch test. We need to pull back the mileage and balance it out with some like heavy, slow grinds, low rep strength. Yeah. I had a patient who was a chronic, or a, I shouldn't say, well, chronic. She was a habitual marathon runner. So every weekend yes. she would run half marathons or marathons and she could not understand why she couldn't get pregnant. And she'd been trying for probably close to a year, but she'd been doing the marathon thing for a while. And I was like, so you, you run half marathons to full marathons every weekend That's insane. and you train all week and you can't figure out why you can't get pregnant. I'll tell you why you can't get pregnant because you're constantly running. So the body is like, why would I get you? Why would I get pregnant? Because you never stop running, which is a stress response. The body's like, oh God, we're running and we're yeah. still running. We're always running. So this, this is stressful. I'm going to so what was you. It? Yeah. I told her to stop. <laughs> I straight up told her to stop. I told her she could run 5K or less, and that was it. And she agreed, and within about three months, she got pregnant. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah. And I love she, those stories. Yeah. And, and the same thing. It fed her soul. She was heartbroken to give up running, distance running, but she wanted a baby more, and it worked. Filled her soul a different way. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we're kind of talking about overtraining. How does yes. overtraining, and I'm curious if... If there's a different, like, do you see differences in the terms of cortisol and sex hormones if it's overtraining like Mm -hmm. CrossFit versus long steady state cardio like 
half marathoning or marathoning every weekend. Does it show up different in the hormones? No, I don't, not really, but either way is not good. So when I have these people who are just as addicted to CrossFit as they are to running marathons, again, they're just, it may feed their soul and they love the community and they feel really good when they walk in and see all their friends and, and, and they work out. But again, these are the men too, but men and women who are constantly injured and they have sleep issues and they have male and female hormone issues and they're tired they may feel good in the gym, but then their the recovery is very is tough for them. You know, I tell there's this really great quote in a in a research article where they talk about the hormone norepinephrine. So there's there's norepinephrine and epinephrine, right? Adrenaline. Epinephrine is adrenaline. And it says when your norepinephrine or noradrenaline is chronically high, then you cannot repair, maintain, or reproduce because you can't save yourself and heal and maintain at the same time. So the body has to pick one. So when you chronically have noradrenaline floating around, the body diverts its resources away from repairing, maintaining, reproducing, and pushes it towards what's called mobilization. Mm-hmm. And so I tell men and women, like, look, when you, when you are ultra crossfitters <laughs> or anything, spin cyclers, you know, marathon, oh, yeah. runners, it doesn't matter if you're doing it six, seven days a week because you're just that type A person and you want to do it you've completely moved away from repair, maintain, and reproduce. And how many of our patients, how many people listening have a tough time repairing, maintaining, and and the reproductive system is not great? I would say at least 85%. Let's just be all the above. Yeah. And so I'm not against CrossFit. People are like, oh, you hate CrossFit and you hate running. I'm like, I'm just, you have, it's a balance. It's a balance. It's, it's not all or nothing all the time. You can't go to spin every single morning, five in the morning, seven days a week, and expect your body to just be able to recover instantly. Like it just can't. We have some people that do double spin. This is like a, it's like a thing. They're like, did you double? I'm like, double what? Like double, <laughs> <laughs> like a double cheeseburger. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, no, did you go, did you go double? And I'm like, wait, 90 minutes of spinning. I'm like, hell no. My adrenals, no. I would be like falling off the bike and like oh <laughs> into it, <laughs> into like the fetal position. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, it's a thing in New York. They're like, oh, did you double at berries? Did you double at soul? And I'm like, no, I want to save my little, my little glands on top of my kidneys. I know. I'm yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. It's same with CrossFit. It's just, you know, I see it with boxing, you know, yeah. people are like, well, I went to spinning at five and I went to boxing at, at, you know, five in the morning. And then I did the boxing class at six at night. And I'm like, you can't figure out why you, you know, like you're so tired all the time and, yeah. you, feel, you know, emotionally exhausted and, you know, you're, can't sleep. And yeah. So what kind of clinical recommendations do you make? Let's just go like, let's roll with like this, like adrenal fatigue. (laughs) But Yeah. But other than just like lifestyle changes, which people will slowly start to integrate, what other kind of stuff do you recommend? So one big one for nutrients. So one, making sure that absorption digestion is really good. So making sure your stomach acid is good. If you're a heartburn person, we have to get to the bottom of that because you're probably taking some sort of heartburn medication and that's blocking you from absorbing things like your B vitamins, which are mm. super critical, yeah. you know, making sure that maybe you'll need digestive enzymes or apple cider vinegar, lemon water, something to get you absorbing better. Um, and then the adrenal glands, the HPA system, two big nutrients are B5, vitamin B5 and vitamin C. And so I find humans are one of the very few mammals that can't produce their own vitamin C. And I joke all the time about this because it's actually in, in Wikipedia. I learned it in Wikipedia, which people judge me, but I think it's hilarious. Mountain goats, they studied mountain goats and mountain goats, when they get stressed out, their vitamin C goes up exponentially to help them handle the stress and deal with oxidative stress and, and recover. 
And I was like, okay, first of all, who is putting money towards studying mountain goats? And second of all, why don't humans get that? Because we're exponentially stressed out all the time. So we we need to you know, increase our citrus foods, our red peppers, our orange peppers, and maybe even adding in some vitamin C in stressful times. Yeah. Because we need it for our HPA access. And then there's some great, you know, there's some really great herbs that are helpful and we call them adaptogens because they help you adapt to stress. They're not magic pills, but things like ashwagandha and holy basil and rhodiola, eleutherococcus, you know, they're, nice. they're really good, right? They're really nourishing to the system while you're making all the lifestyle changes. I feel like for a naturopath, like ashwagandha, like, you know, everyone else is like, what? (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. But it's so great. It's like, it's really learning the second language, the body. It really is. I know. Well, and it's an Indian herb. So it's like a whole different. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, we're familiar with English herbs or, you know, rosemary. (laughs) Yeah, right. But ashwagandha, (laughs) we're like, what? (laughs) So I know a lot of naturopaths do kind of like protocols. Like we're going to do this protocol, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For a certain number of weeks. If you were thinking of like putting someone on ashwagandha and the the B vitamins and the vitamin C, like how long do you think? And obviously, it depends on so many lifestyle factors. Like if you're still going to go do doubles, it's you know at a class. Like right. I don't know how well the supplements will counteract that, or it might take longer. But let's say they're taking your diet, your recommendations, lifestyle, and these supplements. How long? Before someone starts to feel like maybe they have more energy when they wake up in the morning, they don't hit the snooze 20 times. Right. So usually what I do is I'll have, I will check in with them somewhere in the like two to four week mark because I want to know we're on the right track. So somewhere in the two to four week mark, I'm like, I just need to know you're feeling better. Do you feel better? And if they're like, yeah, I think we're on the right track, then obviously it takes time as the analogy goes, it takes time to move a cruise ship. But if they say in two to four weeks, no, I don't notice anything. Nothing's better. I'm just as tired. I use just as much caffeine. I whatever. Then I need to change. I need to change whatever protocol I'm doing or whatnot. Now, when do I retest? I usually retest at about the three to four month mark. Mm, interesting. Because it takes time, right? It takes 120 days to turn over a, a, a red blood cell and white blood cells. So it, it, you know, it takes usually about three menstrual cycles for women to like turn everything over for the new dominant sort of follicle to be chosen. And so our body sort of works in this three to four month rhythm, believe it or not. Yeah. So I'm like, well, let's, let's wait for that whole rhythm to overchange and then we'll retest. But I I do want to know in two to four weeks, what drives me nuts is when people will get on a protocol and then they're just left to the wind, you know, and they're like, well, I've been on it for four months, but I don't notice any difference. So I'm hoping by the six month mark, I'll feel better. I'm like six months. Ain't nobody got time for that. I know. Seriously. I'm, I'm surprised they would like stick to it that long. I know. And then keep re- reordering whatever it is. So yeah. I, I, I'm more like, okay, two to four weeks. Are we making a change? Yes. You notice a difference. Yes. Things are better. Not great. I realize that, but are we in the right direction? And if we are, we keep on it. And then I, a three to four month mark. Yeah. Just- so I know you see a lot of women and I'm kind of new to this like functional medicine, naturopathic world a little bit. And it's so funny because I always see our friend Tina Moore always put stuff out there and she's like, you know, she puts a functional medicine quote up and she's like, naturopaths have been saying this for 60 years, you know? (laughs) That's true. We're the original, we're the OGs. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So we see in our practice a lot of postpartum women Mm. and obviously having a baby and creating life puts a load 
on the immune system and on our body. And I see a lot of women with their thyroid is kind of all over the place. I'm sure mm-hmm. the hormones as well. I know mine was after I had my kid. And I we also see on a physical medicine, on a movement perspective, the the tissue obviously from the hormones will get like the joints will be less stable, but mm-hmm. also the tissue quality, like it's just like harder to stabilize and the joints feel hypermobile. I'm curious, do you see that? And then also what's your approach to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, postpartum. And again, so the questions we get all the time is, can I, I feel hormonal. Can I hormone test when I'm breastfeeding? And I'm like, you can. <laughs> yes. But I, you know, women come out of birth and sometimes within a couple of weeks, we're getting phone calls. Like, I just had my baby two weeks ago. I feel hormonal. I'm like, I know, I know, <laughs> I know you do. You just delivered a newborn two weeks ago. It's what happens. Yeah. And, but sometimes women, you know, women will like a year, two years postpartum, they're like, okay, I'm never well since, or never, I feel like I haven't gone back to where I was and I'm really mm. struggling. So you can hormone test. But if you are breastfeeding, the hormone that goes up with breastfeeding is prolactin. And prolactin has a pretty significant impact on your entire system because it's to protect you from getting pregnant again. And it's to obviously encourage milk production. It does lower your sex drive because you're to focus the theory is you're to focus on one baby at a time. So like, don't be horny and, you know, like <laughs> don't right like have enough breast milk and your hormones should, aren't totally going to be in balance because you need to focus on this kid in front of you. And then when you wean, then it should all rebound, but it doesn't always, you know, rebound. And so I tell breastfeeding women, there's a lot we can do. We just have to be careful because everything you take comes through the breast milk. And so their tissues are often, just like you said, lax when they're pregnant, they're right. Their estrogen, their estriol, their E3 is super high. The progesterone is super high. Um, their the oxytocin goes up, their prolactin goes up. Like all these hormones go up exponentially. I mean, more than we can even fathom just right now, you and me, which has a huge impact on our tissue quality and our joints. And it takes time for that to yeah. get back, come back down and then get back into a rhythm again. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We can do vitamins, nutrients, you know, zinc, magnesium, calcium. Again, the B vitamins, vitamin C. Sleep is like your very best friend in the whole world. Rest. So many women, as you see, like are trying to get back into their pre-baby genes at the six, <laughs> eight week mark because that's what they see on social media. And I'm like, nope, yeah. that's crap. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, like yeah. just focus on taking care of you and, you know, it'll get there eventually. But what I do see is, and you might see this too, is because I feel because of the, um, well, honestly, I think it's the impact of social media is that new moms try to rush it. Oh, you know, yeah. they want to, they want to run again. They want to CrossFit again. They want, they want like you to fix their body and their muscles and their joints so they can get back into it right away and get their body back. And I'm like, Ooh, that your hormones are literally trying to protect you from that. You're supposed to focus on the small baby in front of you. And yeah. for a reason, your heart, it's a biologic thing. I so, love that. Yeah. Yeah. I usually try to give the perspective that it's only been six weeks mm-hmm. and you've been growing a baby for nine months. So mm-hmm. why don't we just like, let's create the perspective and the mind shift of like, once we get to the nine month mark, you've only... The baby's only been out as long as it's been in. So (laughs) let's let's at least get there and then we can not give ourselves pelvic floor issues by trying to like press a weight overhead too soon. Right. Which a lot of women absolutely, right, try to do. They try to jump right back into it. And I understand. I get it. Like I, you know, I totally understand. But 
it's not the way that biology has designed us. Yeah. So how soon after women finish breastfeeding? I breastfed until 18 months, which whew, that was felt a little too long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> would you recommend that they do get some blood work or blood testing? Or Yeah. So if, well, and actually you can test while you are breastfeeding. It just depends yeah. if you've gotten your period back or not. So if, you, if you're breastfeeding, but you're not breastfeeding so much that your period comes back and it's pretty regular, absolutely. Go ahead and test. So let's see what your estrogen and progesterone is doing. Let's see what the impact of prolactin is having on you. And maybe in your, so let's see what your cortisol is doing, how you're usually lack of sleep. Let's see how that's affecting you. What I tell women is if you're about to stop breastfeeding, if you know you're going to wean soon, just just wait. Don't spend the money. Don't get blood testing. Don't do Dutch testing until you're fully weaned. And then wait like two or three cycles post weaning yeah. until you do your hormones. Because that gives your body enough time to be like, oh, we're not doing the milk production thing anymore. All right, cool. And your prolactin will come down in hopefully, and you know, your milk production will dry up and then you're sort of back to hopefully more normal, more baseline state. And then I'm like, let's test then let's not test in the gray area. Let's not test while you're weaning. Like, let's try to test when you're more of a, when you're more, when you're more done, done, yeah. done. How have you seen, cause obviously there's a weight loss aspect to mm-hmm. losing the baby weight and also the weight gain of pregnancy and just kind of weight gain and weight loss. I'm kind of curious in general, like how does that affect our hormone balance? Well, and it depends if it's a, a healthy weight gain in pregnancy and it depends if the weight gain, if the mom has developed like gestational diabetes. I mean, there's a lot of factors that come into play. If yeah. it's like a normal, typical, you know, weight gain when she's pregnant and she didn't develop diabetes or gestational diabetes or no blood sugar issues. Then when she's breastfeeding, so after she delivers and if she, if she's choosing to breastfeed and even if she doesn't, if she's just losing it natural right afterwards, I remind women toxicants and chemicals and stuff get stored in our fat tissue. So you may feel more hormonal one, cause you just had a baby two, because you're not sleeping. And three, as you're losing this weight, you are actually going to release some chemicals and toxicants into the body. And so just be aware, you may sort of have this up and down, like mood swings or just sort of feelings or, you know, rashes, acne and stuff that sort of come and go as you're losing chunks of weight. And I see that even in non-pregnant postpartum women, just normal women, Losing weight, especially if they lose it rapidly, they'll say to me, ah, gosh, I get all these weird symptoms. And I'm like, right, when you lose these chunks of fat, you're also releasing these chemicals. So that's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think most people don't know that or think of that. And especially in our culture where it's like, always want to lose extra five pounds or 10 pounds. And like Mm -hmm. weight loss is such a heavy topic. And I feel like on a lot of my clients' minds, and I'm like, well, actually, like things happen when you lose weight. Like, the hormones change, the thyroid shifts, yep. toxins get released, they get stored in the fat. Yeah. I don't think people, like fat tissue has its own, we call them, well, horm- hormones to a degree, we call them inflammatory cytokines. So mm. your fat tissue actually makes its own hormone that makes leptin. Leptin is a huge one, huge hormone, very, very involved in a lot of aspects of your body, your thyroid, estrogen detoxification, you know, communication with your brain. Uh, it's a hormone made right in your fat tissue and your fat tissue makes its own, we call them cytokines, which are these like little chemical messengers that can float around your body. As you're losing fat, these things are going to come out more rapid, faster, higher you know, yeah. than you were expecting. And yeah. women are happy like, oh, I lost weight. I lost five pounds. 
But sometimes they also say to me, gosh, as I can tell when I'm losing weight, I get all these crazy symptoms that last for a day or two. I'm like, yeah, you're, until your liver can handle it, you process it. Yeah. They float around. Yeah. You also work with women who are trying to get pregnant or are struggling mm-hmm. with certain yeah. issues. Can you tell me yeah. about that? Yeah. yeah. Fertility for sure. Yeah. Infertility. Well, first and foremost, in order to get pregnant, right, egg has to meet sperm. So make sure this person who is giving the sperm in your, in your egg, it has good quality sperm. Like we always forget the sperm. We always go right <laughs> to the woman. Oh, it's the woman's. It must be the woman's problem. No, he's, that sperm is 50% of that equation. So check out the sperm health too. But a couple things for women with fertility. One is just making sure you know when you ovulate. It's amazing to me the number of women who want to get pregnant but don't fully understand their cycle or they think, well, I read online that I ovulate a day, which is when you kick the egg out. I ovulate on day 14. I'm like, not necessarily. Like we're not all textbook. I've absolutely had women ovulate on day 11. I've had women to ovulate on day 18. And then they're like, oh crap, we're having sex at the wrong time. I'm like, no wonder you can't get pregnant. You missed the window. <laughs> so I tell women, go buy ovulation predictor kits. You buy them at the grocery store or pharmacy. You don't need a doctor's orders for them. You just go buy them. Or track your signs. Do you know when you ovulate? Do you get mucus changes? Do you get little twingy pains? You know, And then no, like when you get those, you're going to ovulate real soon and that's when you should try to have sex. But then after that, once you release the egg, you need good progesterone levels. And so making sure you're testing your progesterone, either in blood work or in on, on our test, on the Dutch test, because it's progesterone that's what maintains the pregnancy until the placenta is strong enough to take over, which is usually around like 10 to 12 weeks. And a lot of women will miscarry at that time. And if we can get their progesterone to be healthy, then that can reduce the risk of miscarriage due to low progesterone. It's such a, I guess, like an easy fix. If they're going to miscarry because of low progesterone, like we can fix that. You can take progesterone. Progesterone is perfectly safe in pregnancy and it's used all the time by OBGYNs and it can help reduce that risk for miscarriage. So get tested, get your progesterone tested. Let's see where you're at because your placenta is not strong enough to take over for several weeks. Yeah. I think so many people or so many women who have miscarried, which is a way higher number than I think anyone really thinks, mm-hmm. thinks it's like, oh, it just wasn't meant to be or... Right. Which is totally, absolutely possible, right? Sure, like, yeah. Absolutely. We call it a blighted ovum where the sperm and the egg met and it just was not, it just did not happen. Like bad mathematics. Yeah. Absolutely. I have had a lot of women where it was low progesterone and I feel so awful because I'm like you could have just done progesterone. Like we can fit, like that's an easy fix. And it makes me so sad. And it makes me even sadder because a lot of conventional OBGYNs, they don't see their patients, their pregnant women for six to eight weeks. Usually a six week mark will be their first prenatal. Yeah. And the reason for that is because so many women miscarry, they're like, well, why would I see him before six weeks? Because the risk of miscarriage is so high. And I'm like, oh, but we could prevent, help prevent it. And then the other thing is women have to have three miscarriages before, often, not always, often before they'll get properly fully worked up. And I'm like, oh, three? Yeah. Three is what's common in, convention, in conventional medicine. Like until a woman has three miscarriages, because miscarriage is considered common, then they'll do much more extensive workup on them. Like, oh, you've had three. I wonder why you're miscarrying. I'm like three, why would we do? Th- That's dumb. Like, yeah, why wait so long? Hello. <laughs> I feel like that would almost be like a whole year and a half of my life of like, yeah, trying to get pregnant. Then the hormones are adjusting. Then like, yeah, yeah. Oof, that sounds terrible. I yeah. bet you have gotten so many women pregnant. 
I've gotten a lot of, <laughs> and actually as a naturopathic physician in Oregon, I can do IUI. So intrauterine insemination. Oh. So I've literally gotten women pregnant because I have done, <laughs> I, where you insert the sperm up into the uterus. So I've, yeah. I've literally done that. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So what else can women who are trying to get pregnant, but maybe struggling, I have some friends and I know we have some listeners that also have had that. Like what else, what else other than checking progesterone? Thyroid is a big one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in fact, I had a patient, she'd been trying to get pregnant. I think she'd had two miscarriages by the time I saw her. And it turned out she had Hashimoto's. Like nobody bothered to check her. Nobody bothered to, you know, they ran a TSH, they ran a TSH, they ran a TSH. And we ran all the rest of the markers, T4, T3, the antibodies. Sure enough, she had, she had Hashimoto's and we worked on that. Like she got pregnant, didn't miscarry, carried. In fact, I think she has two kids at this point. And she was a nurse. That's the other thing. She's in the medical field. And she said, nobody bothered to check. Nobody bothered to test. So I hear that all the time when I'm like, so sometimes I ask my patients like, how's your thyroid? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, either like, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Or they're like, oh, I had a check. The doctor said it's fine. And right. I was like, well, did, did they just check, t- check TSH or did they do a full panel? Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't know. And I'm always curious, like why, why is only testing TSH kind of the standard in the traditional medical world? You know, that's a, actually, it's a really great question. I, it's the way that most conventional MDs were taught. And as a result, it's a lot what most insurance companies will pay. You know, they'll, they'll pay for a TSH. But beyond that, you know, people are like, why? In a lot of MDs that I talk to tell me that they feel a TSH like if anything goes wrong, it'll reflect in the TSH. So why would they check anything else? And I'm like, oh gosh, you don't understand the biochemistry of, of, of how thyroid works. The TSH is only reflective of thyroid in the pituitary itself, in, in the brain. But if you have thyroid issues out in your you know, toes, uterus, colon, you know, whatever, yeah. leg, thigh, yeah. then that's not necessarily always going to reflect back on the TSH. If your pituitary is perfectly happy, your TSH will be perfectly happy. But if you can't convert out in the periphery, which is why you're, you have hair loss and you have constipation and dry skin and can't get pregnant and heavy periods, then your TSH may look, quote, normal, but nothing else will. So you have to look at everything. Oh, it drives me nuts. I'm like, you have to look at everything else. And then you can have antibodies show up years before you actually have sort of thyroid that'll show up on the blood work, right? So mm. if you might have a positive, you know, Hashimoto's antibodies, but your TSH and your markers might look quote normal. And I'm like, look, we have a sign like, like it's coming. So let's be proactive now. Why wait years for it to just to slowly give out? So hair loss and dry skin. Right, exactly. And like and most, <laughs> most of the time, right? Don't women and men too. I shouldn't leave out the men. Men can get Hashimoto's, but most of the time women are coming to you and they they already have hair loss, they already have constipation, they already have, you know, they've all the symptoms. And 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 I'm like, yeah, your your antibodies are positive. Like absolutely. You have an autoimmune issue going on with your thyroid. I'm not surprised you feel like you do. Let's address it. Yeah. And if it does get picked up in just a TSH, I feel like the go-to recommendation is some sort of medication versus a lot of things can make the thyroid, I don't know if dysfunctional is the right word, but out of balance. Can you speak to some of those? Because I think a lot of listeners don't know that. Yeah. So, and I'm not against, I'm not against thyroid medication. If you need thyroid medication, you need it. So if you're listening and you're taking it, you're feeling guilty, don't feel guilty. You might totally need it. But lots goes into your thyroid. Certain nutrients, selenium. Selenium is a huge nutrient for your thyroid. Vitamin A, zinc, 
iodine, tyrosine, super important for your thyroid. Tyrosine, so when you look at thyroid testing, TSH is what's tested, thyroid stimulating hormone. And then you test T4 and you test T3. Those are the two big hormones that come out of the thyroid. T stands for tyrosine. Four is the number of iodines attached to it. And then T3, T tyrosine with three iodines attached to it. So people will say, well, how do I get more tyrosine? Like it's an amino acid. It comes from protein. So if you're not getting enough protein in your diet or you're not breaking your proteins down, you have digestive issues, then you're going to have a tough time making thyroid hormone. And if your diet's not that great, you're going to have a tough time getting your selenium in or your, your vitamin A or your vitamin A made from beta carotene, your zinc. And all of those go into thyroid production and people don't even realize it. But other things can affect it. Chemicals, the chemical, what you put on your skin and you clean your house with and God forbid those air fresheners and you know oh, God, what you yes. spray in your yard. I mean, all of those have an impact on your thyroid. A cortisol, your stress, cortisol and adrenaline absolutely can affect your thyroid. So there is a whole lot that will yeah. affect your thyroid. And we can be proactive about it. That's the crazy thing. I'm like, there's so much we can do. Why would they just put you on medication? Maybe we can backtrack and find the why to what's going on. And but pregnancy, so many women, so many pregnant women have thyroid issues. Yeah, I'm going to tell you my story because I don't think I've ever told this. So I had eczema on the palm of my hand for about five years, to the point where I could not lift weights anymore because it would just <gasps> and it would burn. And I was like, okay, maybe it's a tie to certain foods. I went gluten free, dairy free, sugar free, but it would still come back. And then I was like, oh, it's attached. It's it's cycling with my cycle. So I was like, mm. hormonal eczema, and so did blood work and saw about three different functional medicine doctors in New York and then met Gabrielle and basically had my thyroid antibodies were like through the roof. I wish I had my exact numbers in my head, but I don't. And basically had Hashimoto symptoms Mm -hmm. and it was like a good year, maybe 15 month process to just like there was parasites that needed to get killed. (laughs) Yeah. Probably from like when I went to India, like 20 years ago, there were there was like heavy metals, arsenic, lead that needed to get sweated, detoxed out, and then really changing up how I was eating mm-hmm. more than just gluten free, more than just dairy, sugar. It was kind of on even a more refined level of cutting out high histamine foods. Oh yeah, yep. And after pregnancy, I was getting insane chemical sensitivities. Yeah. I could smell someone, and this is like in New York, there's like everyone's (laughs) wearing Chanel 5 down the block, but it was like 30 feet away, I could smell that that person had washed their clothes and tied or was wearing sandalwood perfume and I would get brain fog and like short-term memory loss. And going through the whole process, I mean, I feel grateful because I get to understand my patients better and you can kind of start to see signs and symptoms without them even knowing other than just being like, I'm so tired. You're like, mm-hmm. well, but it's so cool that there's this nuance and refined testing and there's people like you out there that are like driving the movement of education that you don't have to live this way. Because I was literally just like, the exhaustion that would happen at the end of a week was on a Monday night. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh no. it must be because I had a baby. It just like, that must be why. But obviously it wasn't. So <laughs> that's a lot. And all of those things will affect your thyroid. Everything you just said, metals, parasites, 
gluten, which I didn't mention gluten because people give me a lot of flack for gluten. My everyone makes fun of me. They're like, you say to go gluten free for everything. I'm like, no, there's actual, it's actual good research. Yeah, let's see Hashimoto's yeah. and and there's we call it molecular mimicry, which is where so when you eat a food and it you break it down when you're, you know, your enzymes and everything break it down. It's to all your food is supposed to get broken down into single amino acids. Single means one, just one. Un. And your immune system <laughs> is cool with that, right? Like your immune system's like, oh, you broke down that whatever you ate, that, you know, kale into a single amino acid. Got it. And so what happens is when you get sequences, meaning a few of them are stuck together, like, you know, many that they look like, they potentially look like pieces and parts of you. So there's a lot of molecular mimicry between gluten and your thyroid tissue. And so when people eat gluten, and if they can't break it completely down and the sequences get through as opposed to single, then your immune system goes, oh, I don't like sequences. This is too big. And it attacks it and tags it as bad. And then the immune system goes, oh, wait a minute, I've seen this before. It's up by your neck. It's the thyroid. And so now it goes back and attacks the thyroid because it's like, oh, this is the same sequence that came through. This must be bad too. And so it's this like accidental mistaken identity <laughs> really is what it is. It's mistaken identity. And so I tell people there's actually really good research to show you have Hashimoto's or any kind of autoimmune thyroid, even Graves' disease. Like really, really, really consider going gluten-free because of this molecular mimicry and just sort of other inflammatory reasons. But the thing with gluten-free is don't think you're going to starve because you're not. There is so much available that is gluten-free. And don't automatically buy everything that's gluten-free if you <laughs> used to eat it, right? Like, don't like, oh, I found gluten-free donuts. I'm like, well, did you used to eat donuts? Like, don't eat, don't eat, just because it says gluten-free doesn't mean it's healthy. Yeah. It just means it's gluten-free. Like, if you didn't normally eat cookies and pretzels and, you know, all this crap, don't do it now because you think you're going to starve. You're not going to starve. Yeah. So. That was such a great explanation. I did not know that. Yeah, actually. And I'd known it for a while, but the doctor who put it into like such great precise terms to give him full credit is Dr. Datis Karazian, who if you've ever heard Dr. Karazian lecture, he talks a million miles a minute and he has <laughs> multiple degrees. He's a chiropractor actually initially. Oh, and he does a lot with, he's a big one for gluten. And he wrote the book, Why Do I Still Have thyroid symptoms and he's written a brain book. But yeah, at a conference last year, he talked about molecular mimicry and gluten and thyroid. And I was like, you just put it in the greatest analogy ever. And now I understand it better. That's amazing. Yeah. So we find a lot of people with Hashimoto's have that tissue laxity. Like yeah. they kind of stand and their knees kind of go back, like hyperextend mm -hmm. or they talk about, you're know, like when I was in yoga and I was in down dog, the instructor always comes around and like fixes my elbows because they're like oh, double jointed, yeah. extended, and I don't know. I mean, I I've been starting to like try and dive and find research. Like, is there a direct correlation? Like, autoimmune disease means connective tissue disease. Connective tissue is not my thing. Yeah, I know people who you know it is, and would probably say, yeah, absolutely, and they would know all the research behind it. I'd be curious to know what those people were. They always that way, or they were like, oh yeah, I was a bendy kid. And, but as I got autoimmune, it progressed, my bendiness, my laxityness got more progressed. Or if they said, oh my gosh, no, I was not a bendy kid, but now I find that I am. Now I have all this, this yeah. laxity in my joints that I don't want. Yeah. I should start asking that question. Sometimes I hear I was always a clumsy kid, oh, like yeah. had a hard time, like I tripped a lot or I had a hard yeah. time balancing, which happens with hypermobile joints. Yeah. 
Well, also thyroid because thyroid and the nervous system and, you know, just your cranial nerves and just, just where you are in space, like thyroid yeah. hormone has a big impact on that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have to do more research on that. Where can people find you? You're such a wealth <laughs> of knowledge and people like more people need to know you and listen to you and watch your Instagram stories and watch yours and Ralph's <laughs> Instagram lives because they're so funny and amazing. <laughs> That's fine. We're actually doing an Instagram. We're trying to do Instagram live like every other weekend, Dr. Ralph and I, just because we have so much fun and it's his and hers. So it's, yeah. it's easy. Yeah. But Instagram is the biggest place if people want to learn. It's all about education that I do. So my Instagram handle is at dr.carryjones. So at dr.carryjones. But dutchtest.com. So D-U-T-C-H, dutchtest.com. All my webinars, all my trainings, all my videos that I've done are all up on there and they're all free. You don't have to be a practitioner. You don't have to be quote signed up with Dutch. If you want to just go learn and see more, go to Dutch test and you can check that out too. But Instagram is usually where I hang out because I'm very visual and yeah. I like to look at pictures of houses and cats and dogs <laughs> and beautiful places <laughs> and then follow all my friends who are doing amazing stuff like you. Yeah. So where I learn too. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank I hope you so much. Like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. I want to like pick another topic and dive deep in like three months and like I'm in. see where you're at. Perfect. I'm in. Let's cool. do it. It's a, it's a hot date. <laughs> <laughs> With our sparkling water and our wine glass. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's how we roll. That's how That's I roll. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, guys, if you feel like Muscle Medicine Podcast is adding value, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review, tell us your thoughts. We love feedback. We'd also love to hear anyone that you would recommend that you would love to hear interviewed on Muscle Medicine. Take care.